0: Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to Rotowire Signature NHL Hockey Pod Podcast with Statsman and AJ. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno in Toronto, Ontario, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My partner in crime is AJ Scholes, located in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin. You can follow him at AJ Scholes24. He's right near Rotowire headquarters over there in Madison, Wisconsin. We're grateful also for our support from our sponsor at Owner's Box. You'll we'll hear a little bit more about them later. But AJ, it's I want to bring you in. And I know you're feeling pretty good about opening night. We didn't talk about this, but I did did not like seeing the Lightning go back to that empty net situation after three three or four times in that game and allowing three empty net goals. To me, if this catches on, it's going to wreck things for fantasy hockey. That's how big a deal I think it is. But uh, what were your impressions, and do you think there was something more to that?
1: Well, no, I mean, I, th- I think the number one thing is I, I actually really like the fact that, um, you know, that Cooper pulled the goalie with like five minutes left. I feel like so often it's, you know, they, you know, it's like, oh, we're down three. We'll pull the goalie with like two minutes remaining. <laughs> like you're not going to score three goals in two minutes. I mean, it's, it's not impossible, but it's just so unlikely. So I-, I did appreciate the fact that he pulled the goalie early um, to give his team an opportunity. I was surprised that he went back to it um, after, you know, the, the Penguins scored a few seconds later. I mean, I guess there was still plenty of time. Um, but, yeah, I guess I would say I was I was a little surprised to see him go back to it a couple times. But um, the initial decision with that much time on the clock, I, I felt was, like, the right move. And, and one we don't see often enough, if I'm being completely honest, you. You're pulling the goalie, you're trying to win, and you're not going to do that if you're down to, and there's a minute and a half left. Like, you need to pull the goalie at like a four-minute mark or something if you only have, you know, if you have two goals to get. So
0: Yeah, I don't um, have, I, I, Yeah, I don't I, know. I guess i don't I'm have a, I like the initial call, though. I don't have a problem with that from, from what you just explained. Sure, pull the goalie for five minutes left, but once the goal goes in, don't keep going back to that well because you're going to cheapen – the value of goal scoring in effect can you imagine if this keeps up all year long we're going to get get a bunch of games with three four empty net goals at the end of the season there's going to be guys with seven or eight maybe ten empty netters among the 20 that they do score and it inflates their their productivity almost artificially and skews fantasy scoring in general and maybe even the scoring races who knows that's the part that i don't like and i hope it doesn't catch on but i also think it was worth noting that after the game, it was implied that he, John Cooper, wanted to embarrass his team because they didn't really play a very strong game. And he says, you know what, let's let them read the paper the paper the next day and see a 6-2 score line, as opposed to maybe three or four. So there is that side of it. But I really hope we don't see multiple games with many empty net goals scored in them. That's, that's the part that troubled me. Uh, so I'll say that. Uh, second thing I want to discuss with you is uh, just before we went to air today, uh, the news came down that Ottawa finally found a way to bring Brady to Chuck's team back to the table and him back to the organization as he signed a long-term deal. Uh, what are the particulars?
1: Well, it looks like it's a seven-year, uh, $57.5 million contract. breaks down to $8.2 million a year, which is uh, a pretty hefty uh, chunk of change there. Um, I'll, I'll be honest, I was surprised uh, that the eighth year wasn't tacked on here. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, unless there's something in the uh, uh, CBA, which I'm, is entirely possible, but it's my understanding that, you know, him being a returning player could have signed the eighth year. So I was, I was a little surprised not to see that on there. Um, you know, but otherwise, uh, my other thing, thought on this is it did feel a a tad high If I'm being perfectly honest here um you know the fact of the matter is yes he's trending in the right direction certainly um but he's only 22 he's got you know a couple 40 uh 45 44 point seasons under his belt paying him 8 million a year you got to be getting 60 to, to 80 out of him I think um so, yeah, I, I was a little bit surprised at, at the price tag, but, you know, he is their, their top line left winger, and so, you know, if you want to lock him up for most of his prime, they've certainly done that.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, I have the perspective here in Toronto of seeing the Leafs lock up their core guys for $10 million plus, so to me, this almost feels like a bit of a bargain when you <laughs> consider that comparison, AJ, but we know that the... Ownership in Ottawa doesn't have quite the deep pockets that uh, they do at the mint known as MLSE. So maybe that factors into uh, a viewpoint to balance the situation a little bit. But I think that it's it's great that they got him locked up for eight years. They buy into some of his uh, free agency eligibility time with that contract as well. It's not a bridge deal. This takes him well into his free agency uh, eligibility. So... Uh, it's a win for the the team, certainly a great payday for uh, uh, let's call him the signature player on the Ottawa franchise. And maybe uh, other other players around the league take a look and say, Wow, is Ottawa turning a new page here and getting serious about putting a team together? They sent a very loud message by getting their main guy uh, uh, signed for that length of time. So I think uh, it's a good day for the Ottawa Senators. And that said, He's. Don't expect him to be playing tonight or even on the weekend. I don't think he's going to need some time to get ready, isn't
1: he? Yeah, definitely not. You know, they said he's not playing tonight. Um, he'll supposedly be in the arena. Um, I mean, I guess it depends, like how you know where his legs are, how much skating he's been doing. I suppose it's not impossible that he could play on the weekend. Um, so we'll we'll have to. Definitely want to check back on BroderWire.com on to keep an eye on that one. But for sure, not tonight.
0: <laughs> Excellent call there. And I'm glad you advertised the great work that you guys do at the head office to keep the depth charts up to date. And we remind our listeners, if you're getting ready for DFS play, you got to know who's in and who's out, and also who's on the power play, AJ. And that's my segue into the theme today. We covered off the four divisions and the breakdown of the rosters here, but uh, I want to take some time today to talk about the special teams from each of the clubs. And also we're going to bring back our DFS segment where we're going to talk both draft teams lineups and FanDuel lineups a little bit later on in today's show. So without further ado, let's go into the team power play setups and any other news around the clubs too we can throw in. I'll begin with a look at the Anaheim Ducks. They have decided to infuse some youngsters into the mix, but it's still older hands that really run things at least from the forward ranks on the special teams look at the names like Max Comtois is a guy that's coming into his own there and he'll be featured on that first power play but Ryan Getzloff the old standby uh, the long-time captain of this club remains a fixture at, at center in the first team power play Ricard Raquel another veteran will be on the right flank they put a rookie in on the back end a couple of rookies in at the back end Jamie Drivesdale uh uh Top defensive prospect in the league with some offensive upside will be paired with Trevor Zegras, a centerman who's going to play a lot of top six minutes for the club. He'll be on the point on that first power play, AJ. What do you think about that mix and uh, any other guys from the second unit that bear attention in your mind?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, the, the key thing, is, as you kind of alluded to, Paul, is that most of these are pretty flexible um, especially on a team like Anaheim, that's that's you know probably going to struggle this year. Um, so you know, Jakob Silverberg's a, a guy that will kind of uh, lead the way. I think on the second group could push for for more opportunities with the first first team here, um, and then Kevin Shattenkirk as well. You know, he's obviously slowed down a bit, a little past his prime, but in a lot of ways has almost become a, a power play specialist the last couple of years. So he's. Another name that could, you know, challenge the likes of of Jamie Drysdale for that spot. So, you um, know, they're definitely fluid; they they can change game to game, power play to power play, um, especially on Anaheim. There are a handful of clubs that I think you'll see. You know, basically the first group is the first group, and and there's not um, not a lot of changing that. I don't think that's the case in Arizona here. Um, you know, for for them, they'll probably have some some flexibility as well. There's a few names that I think are cemented on that top group, and that's uh, Jacob quarterback quarterbacking that uh, the top group, and then Phil Kessel lining up in the slot. Uh, probably the biggest news today for for Arizona is that Phil Kessel will play in that season opener, which means his Iron Man streak will continue. Um, I believe it's sitting at 901 games right now um consecutive games played for Phil the thrill so um biggest news for for them today is that they will get kessel and he'll play on that top unit um you know the rest of it i think are guys that could come in and out uh, nick schmaltz larson kraus probably not as secure in their spots especially with guys like clayton keller and christian fisher around
0: yeah i would agree larson Krauss for me looks like a guy will be the net front presence and uh could get a few garbage goals coming up, off his body, parts, from some shots from the point, or Phil Kessel missiles from the side. So he might have some extra value as long as he's playing on that top unit. Connor Timmons, a youngster who is plugged into this de- defense corps, gets a prime assignment to, to play uh, left defense on the power play, I'll say. And Jacob Chikrin has some value in leagues that count hits and block shots as well. In fact, when you factor that all in, as well as the offense that he provided, he was among the league leaders in terms of value in those particular formats heading into this particular season. So, uh, a name to think about there. Clayton Keller, a guy that I think could vault into a first-line power-play role too. This is a guy who's going to be a key scorer in five-on-five, and you can bet that he's going to get a look at the top unit. And then they brought over Shane Gostisbehere, who a couple is a couple of years removed from his career season best and uh, they would be thrilled if he could rediscover that form. If he did, he might even challenge Chickering to anchor that first power play. In Boston, they're talking big dollars with another defenseman there, Charlie McAvoy. I haven't seen uh, any conclusion there, but they're talking about a long-term deal and I heard a rumble that it could start with a $10 million price tag on an annual cap hit. That would be something that really shocks the Boston salary cap structure, but he's that important to this club because there's a tremendous drop-off in terms of the defensive uh, ranks there and the scoring ability they're, they're in. But he'll be partnering with David Pasternak on the point, and Taylor Hall is, of course, a guy that they're looking for big things from. He'll plug in along with Brad Marchand and Patrice Bergeron in what could, should be, one of the league's more potent power plays, AJ.
1: Well, yeah, and, and then, you know, I this is one that it's going to take an injury, really, for anybody else to, to get in this power play. You, you don't take Marshawn and and Pasternak off. And this is one also, you know, Arizona and Anaheim might be, in terms of, of DFS options, might be teams where you could consider maybe targeting somebody on that second group because they'll still get some opportunities maybe close to even. Uh, I would not say that's necessarily the case in Boston. I would expect this top group to really see – Most of the power play minutes, I mean, if you figure, you know, a normal two minute power play, I wouldn't be surprised to see these guys out there for a minute and a half, um, you know, compared to, uh, you know, other teams where it might be close to a minute split each way. So definitely something to to watch out for there. Uh, If there's a power play that is uh, shuffled around and tenuous at best, it's definitely the Buffalo Sabres. Part of that being that their lineup, I just think, and their their line combinations are, are tenuous here. Looks like we're going to get, uh, you know, Casey Middlestad, Jeff Skinner, Victor Olsen, Rasmus Dahlin as the first group there. With you know, could be Chase Thompson, could be Rasmus and uh, Asplund, um, but I think there's any number of guys uh, that that could challenge pretty much anybody. Like if I had to pick any one guy that's maybe locked in here. Um, I I would maybe say Victor Olofsson. He has put up some really good numbers in his two two full years, at least, in the league. Uh, Like 78 points in uh, 116 games, if I'm recalling correctly. Um, So he's maybe the one guy that I think is locked in here. Everybody else, uh, I think, is is kind of flexible, and and they could be in danger of, of missing out here.
0: AJ, i got to ask you before we go on to the next club about Jack Eichel's situation. I heard rumblings that there were teams expressing interest in him despite the fact that he has still got to go through some surgical procedure in order to get himself right with the, the wonky neck that he's dealing with. And and there's still no real conclusion about which direction that's going to go. But have you heard anything at your end? And And further to that, would you recommend stashing him if you could in, in fantasy formats. I think if you've got a way to, to find a spot in your reserves or injured reserves, that this guy needs to be there uh, if, you, if he hasn't been plucked in your in your fantasy pools. I can't imagine that he'd be available in too many, but if he is, I would snap him up and just stash him and say, someday this guy's going to come back to hockey and be one of the best players in the league.
1: Yeah, my, I haven't heard anything... Uh, different than that. I mean, I would imagine that a, a team that was seriously interested in uh, training for Eichel would be willing to let him have the surgery that he wants. Um, that, that seems to be that, you know, the, the linchpin here with Buffalo is that they want to go one route. He wants to go another. So yeah, I would, I would imagine that that would be step one um, to, to clearing a trade. Cause obviously you don't want to give up the pieces you would need to get a Jack Eichel and then have him say, well, if you're not going to let me do it, I'm not going to play, right? So um, that's piece one. As far as stashing him, look, at this point when you consider, like, the surgery hasn't happened, the trade hasn't been finalized, like, I would honestly only consider stashing him if your league has an IR spot. Like, I don't know that you want to waste. So I'm I'm in a league um, with a couple other people. Well, I think you're in a similar version of the same league. Yeah. Um, that doesn't have an IR spot. There are a good number of, of reserve spots, but I don't know that I would keep Jack Eichel sitting around just because of the uncertainty. Like, you don't really have any good idea how long he'll be out, if and when he has the surgery, and what team he'll be playing for. So if you have an IR spot, certainly it certainly makes sense to use that and stick him in there. But if you don't, I, I might consider letting him go, to be honest. Now, that is only in a redraft format, obviously. If, if you are in a dynasty format, like, don't go out and drop Jack Eichel today. Because, obviously, you know, this season may be a wash with him, but you'll get him back at, at some point, and, and then he's certainly uh, got some some high value there.
0: Well, and I expect a couple other guys, and I'm going to ask you about one, when a certain team comes up in the second half of our show, AJ, who's on the IR. He'll be out for a couple of months, and you probably have a different opinion and a different answer. I know I acted on it. We'll get to that a little bit later. So there's a carrot that I'll dangle for you when we talk about the Pittsburgh Penguins and the beginning Malkin a little bit later in the show. But uh, for now, let's swing into the Carolina Hurricanes, and this is a team that they have, whoever counts the shots on goal in Carolina is doing this team a real solid because every year they're among the league leaders. If not the league leader, that shot clock is just on super spin mode in, in Carolina, and that juices up some of the shots on goal totals for this this group here. A couple of the guys that are going to be leading the attack offensively on the first power play, and Andrei Svechnikov. This guy is a super sniper on the left wing. Uh, Sebastian Aho, very underrated in the middle of the ice as their number one center. Then they mix it up a little bit, AJ. Instead of putting Terabainen on the right wing to complete this line, he's playing a point position, uh, and uh, they're giving Vinny Trocek... Another smooth puck handler, a chance to play up front with Aho. That's two their top two centers on the, on this unit. And then uh, an enigmatic choice for their power play point man, and that's Tony D'Angelo, who has been much maligned in this space and others for off-ice activities. But uh, he's got a t- got talent, and that's what earned him the right to be the power play quarterback. I wonder how many people are buying into him. Let me start there with you. Are you buying on uh, Tony D'Angelo as the point man?
1: Um, I, I'm gonna say no at this point. Um, I would like to obviously see a game or two and, and see what the minutes break down with him. Really, because um, you know, you look at the regular, you know, the the regular depth chart right now. We've got them penciled in with Ian Cole as like the third pairing, so. I guess the question is, you know, is he only going to average, like, 15, 16 minutes of five-on-five uh, five ice time, and then they'll juice him up on the on the power play to the point where he's out there for almost a full two minutes um, to kind of make that up? Or are they just going to be dividing the minutes a little more evenly that it doesn't really matter? um and then, you know, what What are his actual minutes on the power play? And I'm not sold that he's going to be, like, the number one power play quarterback throughout the year. So uh, I, I'm a little, little hesitant on him right now. I will say, if you're looking in terms of DFS options, like, anytime he gets playing with Sveshnikov, Terebinin, Aho, Chochak, like, you kind of have to consider uh, utilizing Grubbers in that spot. And we do have... Uh, D'Angelo there right now, so that's kind of my take on on that uh, situation. But I'll uh, I'll dive us into Chicago there, and this again, this is another one where most of the spots on this top power play unit are going to be pretty well cemented. Obviously, Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves aren't going anywhere. Seth Jones will quarterback that number one unit. Uh, you know, the, I think the Breen is pretty much solid there. So maybe Tyler Johnson is the one iffy guy um, in that spot. But they're also utilizing him right now in that first-line role. And so, I, you know, if him and Kane and Debrinkat can start gelling um, on that first line, obviously Tyler Johnson new to the team this year, I think you would want to continue doing that on the power play as well. So while I'll say he's maybe my most questionable guy there in that first unit, I I don't think he's... um, I, I don't think he's in that risk of, of losing it. Um, Paul, I don't know if you see anybody that could maybe challenge Tyler Johnson for that number one group.
0: Well, I'm also worried about the situation with Jonathan Taves. I'm thrilled to see he's back in the lineup, but we don't know what we're going to get out of him after he missed a whole season, AJ. So for me, there's a question mark beside his name as well until I see if he can return back to his usual form. If he doesn't, I think Kirby Doc is a suspect that could go up to the top line. And also, Dominic Kubelik and uh, and uh, Henrik Borgstrom even can may- maybe be a factor on that top. You know, but Kubelik should be a guy that, that might be, gets the first look on the left wing if Taves falters in any way offensively in that mix. But a guy who should be picked up at the high end of, of most draft boards when you're talking about defensemen, Seth Jones is, is clearly the guy, a go-to guy on the back end of this power play, and I think he's in for a tremendous season as a quarterback behind a potent group of forwards that they can put out there. AJ, I'm going to go back to the Calgary Flames. We leapt over them uh, accidentally, but we will fill that gap now by talking about familiar faces that dot the landscape here in terms of their key offensive weapons on the first power play. Matthew Tuchuk, I hope this this youngster has his head on right because it didn't end very well for him last year. kind of lost his cool and lost his focus in the playoffs. was down on the team. But uh, by all accounts, he's come with a better attitude and he'll be uh, the leader of this team on the ice. Again, he has to be. And he'll be on that left wing on the top power play beside familiar partners, Sean Monaghan and Johnny Gaudreau. Elias Lindholm is a guy who will be playing top six minutes regularly and the forward who will jump back to a point position on the blue line. But uh, the point man on the power play from the defenseman position is Rasmus Anderson. He has never held this role before. Uh, with any uh, degree of success it was Mark Giordano's spot uh, but Giordano's moved on to Seattle as we all know to captain that squad so Anderson is a guy who inherits that role and if he succeeds you can see a real spike in his ownership and value that uh, is not there at the start of the season he's gonna have to earn that spot and stay there in that role otherwise maybe a guy like Noah Noah Hennepin challenges him for that responsibility.
1: I would absolutely agree there. Uh, Paul, I do. I do think uh, Hannifin is, is the number one candidate um, to step in there. Maybe uh, if he got off to a good start, maybe a guy like uh, you know Yusuf Volamaki could uh, could be an option as well. It's not something he's done at the NHL level yet, but he's still kind of working his way. You know, he played forty nine games last season, so it's just has just started to become a full-time NHL-level guy. So I I apologize to the Calgary Flames fans there for having skipped over your club. Um, But I'll take us to Columbus now. Hopefully that's in the right order here, Paul. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, so for them, uh, I would say there's probably only, I guess I would say only two names uh, that I think are 100% guaranteed to be on the number one power play, and that's Patrick Line and Zach Wierinski. Uh, You know, Line has obviously got the huge cannon of a shot. I would compare what he does on the power play similar um, to Alexander Ovechkin. Obviously not nearly as uh, successful, at least not at this point in his career. Um, but Laine does kind of a similar thing. He manages to find an opening right about the slot and, and really can fire one home. Werenski, obviously taking over. Full-time as the number one quarterback. He, he's done it a little bit in the past, but full-time with the departure of Seth Jones from there You know right now we've got Jacob Borsek, Boone Jenner and Oliver Bjorkstrand as the guys But obviously, you know, Max Dome is in the mix. Uh, Jack Ruff's Uh So I, I do think um, probably the Maybe you know quote-unquote forward spots if you will um are a little more up for grabs here in in Columbus.
0: At least they have options, though, AJ. You mentioned that second unit, Max Domi, Jack Roslavik. You can add Gustav Nyquist to the mix, I think, even. He's a couple of years removed from being a top scorer on his teams in the past, but he was out with injury much of last season as well. So a bit of a question mark at at the get-go, but I think he's a guy who's primed for upward mobility in the power play depth chart uh, if he stays healthy. He's that good a player, and he should be in the mix offensively. Of course, people are looking for a rebound from Patrick lining. He has had a big-time drop-off in the last year in terms of the scoring expectations that we have had for him. He was supposed to be up there. He was drafted number two behind Austin Matthews. I don't think there's anybody in the world who would, who would say that he's the equal of Matthews anymore, but that was certainly a talking point a couple of years ago that I remember very well. But uh, Laine is a super skilled player. He may have already scored the goal of the season, A.J., in exhibition. I don't know if you caught the end, end-to-end rush that he scored a beautiful goal lifting the puck into the top corner after going 200 feet from one end of the ice to the other. He's that skilled and that capable. It's just a matter of where his head's at. And by all accounts, uh, it's a better starting point than it was during any any part of the season for him last year. So I hope for his sake that uh, he does re- Recapture the trajectory that he had earlier in his career and leads this team offensively. They're going to need him to do that do so. I have a question mark around Jacob Voracek, AJ, as you know, we talked about that in our preseason preview of this team. And I wonder if he is lost a stride or lost anything offensively, he'll be probably the first first to shoot a drop from that first to power play unit. Up next we go to one of the league's most potent club maybe the most potent club uh, offensively in the entire league and that's the Colorado Avalanche and of course they have one of the signature trios up front offensively in Landeskog, Rantanen and McKinnon. McKinnon is listed out of the lineup at the moment but he'll be back sooner uh, than later with with any uh, no doubt at all about his ability to lead this team offensively so Without him in the mix, though, they're going to look for Nazem Kadri and JT Comfer to fill a role in the power play. And then on the back end, Kale McCarr should be in contention for one of the top point getters among all defensemen in the league. And he'll partner likely with maybe a guy with the best hands outside of that top line, and that's Andrei Burikoski. Uh AJ, what do you think about the, the group in this mix? I'll also mention Valerie Nichushkin is a guy who will have that net front presence on a second unit and could have some value there as well.
1: Yeah, obviously, this unit, uh, in you know, in flux right now, JT Confer's spot uh, on that top group is, uh, you know, going to last maybe one more game. Uh, Nathan McKinnon will obviously come back and, and reclaim that spot. Of course, they have to worry about losing Gabriel Landeskog as well after today's announcement, but he'll be having a hearing with the Department of Player Safety for his uh, boarding hit there, which... Uh, I've seen some dumb plays, Paul, but, like, that one, I just don't know what you're thinking. Like, I know the guy's playing the puck, but he's on one knee. Like, you really had to, like, rear back and, like, slam him? Like, you know, I, and that one uh, just kind of boggled my mind. I'm not – I don't uh, ever recall having seen, you know, indications or, or bad plays by Gabriel Landstock that would indicate that he's, you know, a, a – dirty player, so I'm, I'm certainly not suggesting that. I think he just wasn't thinking on that play at all, and um, so, you know, I, I would suspect maybe a one-game suspension for him, probably not too much more, but certainly something to watch. Uh, you mentioned the skin, and I think he'd be the leading candidate to move up there uh, if, you know, if they uh, are without Landeskog and McKinnon, um, and they might even move him up there uh, Landeskog is out, but they do have McKinnon back because I think JT Compher, maybe not exactly the best guy to be having on a number one power play unit there. Uh, in Dallas, uh, looks you know like we'll see a bit of what we're kind of used to here: uh, Jamie Ben, Tyler Sagan, Ryan Sutter, and Miro Heiskanen as the I'll call it the one A group here, along with Dennis Guranoff. And then the 1B, you're looking at Raduloff, Rupe Hintz, Joe Pavelski, John Klingberg, and the youngster Jacob Pedersen. Um, you know, this is one where I think our, the minutes you're going to see are pretty even, and that's intentional by dividing up, you know, kind of your, your star guys here. I think if you were going to go, like, fully offensive offensive uh, number one power play, you'd probably go Ben, Sagan, Radulov, Pavelski, and Heiskanen, or maybe Klingberg. I think you can make an argument either way there. Um, so it's interesting to see that they're kind of dividing the talents here to give them, you know, two more evenly matched power plays. Uh, I think it's maybe unique, uh, a, you know, kind of a unique setup from, from what we're used to.
0: Well, and the thing that I notice is, is the uh – defense pairing here on the power play. It looks like Sutter and Heiskaner are one of the rare team, rare team-ups on the back end that actually used two defensemen on the first power play. So uh, that's something to look forward to. And uh, Sutter in his new digs, he has been a point getter and a big-time minute eater wherever he's been in his career, mostly in Nashville, I, was, I suppose. And uh, he, I expect him to have the same profile here. So that's a pretty nice one-two punch in on the back end. too defensemen who should both top the 40-point mark. Don't be shy about plugging both in sometimes if they get a really nice matchup in DFS play. But Guryanov, along with veterans Ben and Sagan, he's a guy that I look for to be a trigger man on that power play. And uh, they got the old man that you really like, Joe Pavelski on the second unit. I could see him getting first, first power play minutes as well. And uh, you can't uh, ignore Alexander Radulov. He'll move up and down this roster as well. Uh, a guy that they can plug and play on any unit and really brings a physical presence. And he'll be that key net presence that I look for on power plays that gets a lot of those uh, goals from within six feet around the net. So there's some value in, in taking a look at a bunch of players here in Dallas. Over in Detroit, you know, there's a lot of fantasy players that might put a big X through this team. AJ, they won't be one of the better teams in the league, but they do have, <coughs> excuse me. they do have some individual skill that is worth noting particularly their captain dylan larkin is a guy that i have a lot of time for he could be a guy that gets 70 plus points on the year and he'll be featured on the first string power play and along with him uh, tyler bertuzzi those are going to be two guys guys that get a lot of action in that first power play unit it's the third spot that is up for grabs and Murdy is is penciled in for that role right now and then uh, we got Nick Letty and Lucas Raymond on the back end. What do you think about this group?
1: Well, I think there's, you know, as you said, there's, um, you know, not uh, not a lot of uh, opportunity. I think, you know, to um, to really utilize a lot of these guys. I think Dylan Larkin, as you said, um, Bertuzzi, obviously, um, but you know, they I don't expect a team. Uh, is going to do a lot here this year, as you as you kind of alluded to. And so, from that standpoint, you know the the groups will shuffle around. I think you're going to see a lot of youngsters like Lucas Raymond get opportunities here because why not, right? Um, might as well. Uh, so yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting one, I think, uh, to to kind of watch. And, and there are going to be a few opportunities throughout the year. You know, if Detroit's fresh and they're playing a team that's on a back to back or Um, They are playing somebody else that's a little more evenly matched with them. Uh, I do think there are a few opportunities, but certainly you'll have to pick and choose your spots there. Um, One team you don't necessarily have to pick and choose your spots every night is the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, This first group uh, pretty much going to be the same group all year, and I would imagine you're talking about a group that will eat up most of the two minutes on on a power play here. You've got uh, Zach Hyman, Ryan dugan hopkins Leon Dreisaitl, Connor McDavid, and Tyson Berry as the number one unit. Uh, if there's a name that's maybe most likely to be questionable in that, it's it's probably Hyman, but I, I say that with a, a grain of salt. I really don't think there's going to be anybody that really challenges this four or this five pack rather for for opportunities here. Um, unless, I don't know, Paul, do you see it any
0: differently there? Well, uh, there's one name that I'll add to the mix, but certainly Zach Heimanoff, the opening nights, fit, fit in like a glove on that power play. He got a layup, absolutely layup from the edge of the crease where he'll be on every power play that he plays to get an easy goal on a pass from Dreisaitl the other night. So it's a good look and a good spot for him. He's played it before in Toronto with some degree of success as well. So I I, I think he's going to be just fine in that mix. Ryan Nugent Hopkins uh, up front with Dreisaitl McDavid. Look, that's three former number, uh, number one, uh, high number one draft picks, uh, and, and lots of skill there, too. Tyson Barry made his bones, let's be very frank. He was very appropriate to fit into this group with a cannon of a shot adding to the mix here, and really a threat that, you know, McDavid's on the point with him, so you know Barry's going to get a lot of open ice to unleash that shot, and he did it with great uh, ferocity last year and great results. So I expect that to continue as well. If I ex- could name one guy that might move up into this mix, it's Jesse Pugliardi. He, th- this guy's done a stunning turnaround for me, AJ, since he moved back to, from Finland. he it looks like he really matured into a much more effective player, uses his size very well, and still has the good hands to go with it. So maybe he and his hymen could flip-flop. I, I think, though, that uh, the likes of Derek Ryan and Tyler Yamamoto, Yamamoto maybe even Evan Bouchard, are going to vie for second-line minutes. and If they want to go to a two-defenseman look, don't don't uh, sleep on a Darnell Nurse. He could fit in on the point on the power play. If they decide to put McDavid up front at center and maybe drop Hyman, they, they will keep the two-defenseman look. And uh, Darnell Nurse scored a pilot goals last year, so he's very capable offensively as well. So a wealth of options at the top end of the Edmonton roster. They should have one of the best power plays in the league, clearly, with the two... Uh, big-time scorers up front leading the way. In Florida, Sam Bennett made a big splash with this club last year, AJ, and I expect that to continue. He's going to get top six minutes here and top five minutes on the power play along with Sam Reinhardt and Jonathan Huberdo, Aaron Eklad and now Al- Alexander Barkov on the points. Alexander Barkov, of course, their captain and number one setter will play that uh, point position uh, on the power play and along with Eckblad gives him a real nice look at the back end A lot of people are expecting Ekblad to produce big scoring totals this season, AJ. Keith Yandel's not there anymore, so he's going to get more minutes on the back end in these prime roles. And so you could see a spike in his numbers that was not there in the last couple of seasons because his running mate is no longer in in the franchise. So uh, the second unit, though, a couple of question marks for me. Owen Tippett is a guy who hasn't really proven to me that he's a top six player in this league. He's had a couple of nice short runs. They're banking on him, holding on to that role all season long. That'll be his challenge. But at center on the second unit is Joe Thornton. And I like Joe Thornton. What can you say? The guy's a sure, sure Hall of Famer, but in his early 40s, lost a step. And, uh, you know, apart from the power play, I don't know what kind of value he has offensively on this club at this stage in his career. But they've got him penciled in on the second line power play. And sure, from, from time to time, he'll be a contributor there. He was in Toronto as well. I just think they have some better options to mix in. And maybe even a guy like Carter Verhage or Frank, Frankie Vetrono fills in uh, among the forward ranks. Patrick Hornquist, another guy that you know very well from his time in Pittsburgh, going to fit that net, net front presence. And if they figure that they want to have more of that, they have two good looks with Bennett and Hornquist in those roles.
1: Yeah, I definitely think Hornquist is probably the most likely candidate to slide up uh, for, for one of the Sams, I'll say, whether it be Bennett or Reinhardt here, um, just because he is that super pest on the power play and is not afraid to just stand there when, you know, a guy like Aaron Eklad's firing off a shot from the point. Um, but yeah, uh, other than that, boy I, I agree with everything you said, so I'll dive in to the Los Angeles Kings here. Uh, a little bit of a different look here, I think, uh, in some ways. You know, Dustin Brown, Anze Kopitar, Drew Gowdy, names they're kind of used to. But Victor Arvidsson will get an opportunity with the first group. And then Vladimir uh, Tekchev uh, will be the other defenseman. I would guess that's probably tentative at best. I would think maybe they'll move, you know, an Alexia follow-up, Philip Deneau into that spot as well. They give him a little more offensive bump uh, with that group. Um, but, yeah, I mean, kind of the, the same names that, that we're used to. Obviously, Andreas Afanissou, when he uh, when he is healthy, he'll be a factor on this power play. And I wouldn't be surprised. You know, it's it's about a month away, but whenever they get Quentin uh, Byfield back, he could certainly be in the mix here for some power play opportunities as well.
0: Yeah, they've stuck with some old hands here, three of the six positions for players that date back to their Stanley Cup years of success. Drew Doughty, the linchpin on the power play. There, Vladimir Takev, you mentioned, he's one of two wingers that they brought in to uh, bolster the offensive ranks, and he'll be playing that point position beside Doughty in the early going, but if that fails, you can bet a guy like Alec follow will be plugged into that role very soon. Uh, Alec, Arthur Kaliev is another guy who was a youngster who fits into the New top nine forwards here in Los Angeles. And he's penciled in as a second-line participant. Maybe he and Paquette will flip-flop uh, roles if one succeeds over the other one. Philip Deneau was never really involved in the power play in Montreal, but he's penciled in as a second power play guy. I would suggest that his greatest value is winning the draws. He's one of the better guys in the league at it. And there's no better way than starting a power play than winning the faceoff and keeping the puck in the offensive zone rather than losing 20 seconds when you lose the draw. So that might be his biggest value. And then he hangs around long enough to pick up some points. But you're talking about a guy who only had five goals last year. So I don't know about the putting the puck in the net part for Deno for uh, as being enough of a play to get me to draft this guy in many formats. In Minnesota, AJ, they too have uh, a couple of familiar guys in the top-line role on the power play. Kevin Fiala manning the point, normally a winger obviously and he's partnered with jared spurgeon who has the big shot it's great to have a defenseman that can really flip that puck at the net with you know 80 95 to 100 mile an hour and this spurgeon is one that can do it not every team has that value so that's his attraction to this power play unit as well as being the power play quarterback from the defense position kirill kaprasov fresh off an outstanding rookie season is a guy that, that will be the linchpin of this offense, and he'll be one of the forwards along with Joel Eriksson Ek. Those two really formed a very nice partnership. And, of course, I like to mention Matt Zuccarello, one of the best power play-making wingers that exists in the National Hockey League, rounding out that unit. But then they have options on the second line that are worth mentioning, particularly Matt Dumba, for me, is another guy who fits the mold of a power play quarterback who can really fire it, and Marcus Foligno, uh, an alternate for the net front presence here. Uh, AJ, any fellas or thoughts in Minnesota? And if, that, if not, then you can take us into Montreal.
1: No, I really don't. Um, you know, Jonas Prodeen could be one one guy that, that I see maybe moving up. But other than that, I, I don't have a lot of uh, additions there to, to your comments on the wild. But for Montreal, um, I think we're going to see a pretty set um, first group here. Uh, Brendan Gallagher, Nick Suzuki, who just signed. A pretty hefty uh, eight year, $63 million contract a couple days ago. A little surprised by that one. Uh, Paul, I'll kick it to you in a minute, have you comment on that. But for me, a little surprised just at the length. You know, it was a eight year extension. He's all, he's 22, so you figure it kicks him when he's 23. He's going to be 31 by the time that thing wraps up. So, um, yeah, just a little surprise for a young player had just 22 to be signing a, a max eight-year extension. But back to the power play, uh, you know, Tyler Toffoli being uh, the other offensive guy, Cole Caulfield, and then Jeff Petrie, um, I think that one's pretty set. Like, maybe Josh Anderson uh, could challenge here. I, I like this second group, if I'm being totally honest. Uh, Yoel Armia, uh, Christian Daborak, Josh Anderson, Chris Weidman, who had a really good year in the KHL, and then Jonathan Druin. Like, I, I like this second group a lot. I'm just not sure that anything, any of them offers enough to move into the first spot. So I guess that would be my two questions for you, Paul. Do you see anybody that could move on to the number one unit? And what were your thoughts about Suzuki's uh, big-time deal?
0: Yeah, I think Montreal may have spent more than they needed to on Suzuki, to be quite honest. 41 points last year in 56 games played. I don't think that's his ceiling. I think you mentioned he's only 22 years old. They're expecting the partnership between him and Caulfield to really bloom and blossom. But neither one of them touches near six feet when you measure these guys in terms of height. And it's still not a small man's game here in the NHL. You've got to have some size going for you. I know Suzuki can stick handle around me in a phone booth. There's no question about that. But, but I still have some question marks about what is this guy's ceiling? Can he be a point, point a game player in this league? I'm not really sure about that, but they're certainly going to pay him like that over the next several years. Uh, I think they're paying in anticipation of, of that achievement, and I don't know if I would have done that as, as a GM of the club. You also mentioned, is there any other second-line winger that, or player that I'd like to see uh, threaten the fr- front-line unit? I think they're certainly hoping that Christian Dvorak develops into a scoring center. Uh, he has not shown that beyond the ability to score 18 points, 18 goals in a single season in this league yet. So I have some question marks about that. Of course, he had an outstanding junior career, but he played alongside Marner and Tuchuk as well, and I think I could have thrived in that setup, uh, A.J., quite frankly. But uh, the two bigger guys on that second unit up front are the guys that I think could certainly get more in power play time, that's Joel Armia. I keep talking about the net front presence. I'd rather have him there almost, than a a Brendan Gallagher. Uh, I think Gallagher is certainly a guy who's willing to mix it up, but he's a third-line player. I think Armia, to me, has more size and and has some scoring ability that can be be that presence. But even more than those two, why isn't Josh Anderson playing on the top line? I think this guy's their best power forward, and he's relegated to second power play minutes. I don't quite get that, AJ. So I think that's a guy that, that I think could see a move to the first unit before too long. Uh, up next, we're going to talk about the New Jersey Devils, and uh, they are a team that I think a lot of people are wondering, when is the switch going to be flipped here, and, and some of their guys really achieve the start and expected of them. I'm talking about specifically Nico Heischer and Jack Hughes. Hughes, for his part, AJ, is uh, dealing with a day-to-day designation injury-wise. Doesn't look like he'll be out very long, but those two guys are supposed to drive this offense uh, when they're on regular shift. And they should be able to really run an effective power play with the skill that they bring to the first unit here. Pavel Zaka should be one of the tr- trigger men that they look for, big production out of. And then Thomas Guitar, formerly of Montreal, he's had success as a power play specialist in the past. This looks like a great spot for him. And they have another one of those special linchpin-type defensemen in Dougie Hamilton, who signed big dollars to, to come over to New Jersey and man the point and and. Maybe fire up this offense from that uh, defense position. On the second unit, the one guy that whose name leaps out to me is Igor Sharangovich. He came from nowhere to be a factor last season, AJ, and he was a factor offensively. And so that's a that's a trigger man on the second unit you've got to look for. Big production out of the New Jersey.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously the, the big uh the big acquisition of, of Dougie Hamilton should, in theory, uh really revamp this number one power play unit. And honestly, I think it could do um, some good things for P.K. Subban as well. Uh, you know, being with the second unit, I think will afford him uh, maybe not uh, the, the prime penalty killers necessarily. And I, I think it could help improve his power play numbers as well in, in his production. So uh, I think both these guys could, could benefit from those kind of new roles there. In Nashville, a uh, little bit of the, the young and the old here. We've got, uh, you know, Philip Forsberg, Ryan Johansson, Roman Yossi, and even Mikael Grandlin. So maybe mostly the old here. But uh, Eli Tolvanen is the one guy in that top unit uh, that that is obviously not been around uh, nearly as long as, as some of the rest. I like him on that group, especially, you know, a um, little bit faster, a little speedier. But I do think his hold on that spot should be, you know, considered tenuous at best. I think both Luke Coonan or Matthew Duchesne could push him for for that spot. And honestly, if they, you know, depending who they're playing against, if they want to go a more defensive setup, that's not really until game. So Matthias Eckholm could be an option there as well. So um, he, he's, he's definitely not uh, cemented there. The other four guys I do think maybe if he got off to, like, the best year he's had in you know, three, four years. Like maybe Matt Duchesne could challenge Mikael Granlin here. But for the most part, I, I don't see anybody else of that four pack having to face any serious challenges for, for
0: PowerPoint minutes. I'm glad you mentioned Duchesne and Ekholm. Ekholm just signed a long term deal and he's getting more money, around $6 million a year. He was on one of the better team friendly contracts for a defenseman of some value for the last several years. So now he's getting paid more what he's appropriate for him and he moves up the depth chart now at uh, a couple of departures on the blue line so he's factoring more into the power play expectations but Matt Duchesne and Ryan Johansson could flip flop here maybe they even play together they had some success playing together in the past and so I look for them to line up maybe together uh, on the first unit if if uh, Granlin doesn't work out or and maybe maybe the odd man out uh, I pencil Duchesne into that top unit really quickly The New York Islanders, AJ, this is a team that a lot of people have high expectations based on the fact that they've had a couple of very nice playoff runs that were halted by the eventual cup champions in the last two years. That's how good they've been. And, uh, you know, people think they're a defense-first team, but they have some really good names that they can ice on a power play. One of the specialists that draws into the mix on a full-time basis going forward this year is Kyle Palmieri, Matthew Barzal, maybe their signature offensive piece, and Anders Lee, their captain, back to full strength and full health. That's a pretty nice top line. Noah Dobson, we've been waiting for him to take the next step, and they're waiting for him to run things on this power play, and he will be doing it if all things go well, alongside Oliver Wallstrom on the back end of that first unit. Second line uh, types who uh, will be in the mix are no slouches either when you consider Josh Bailey, another one of those wonderful playmaking winners that is a rarity in the league. And then they've got Brock Nelson. I said he's a shoot-first guy on our, our DK show earlier Today, and I'll back that up by saying he's a guy who's been a 30-plus goal scorer in this league, and I think he can get back into that range with the 82 the return of the 82-game schedule. Anthony Beauvillier, another guy who has all the skill in the world. That's a very formidable top six guys that they can put at the forward ranks in the power play. And then they can even put a guy like Ryan Pullock, who is their best defensive defenseman, but also capable of double-digit goal scoring, to, to fill out that second unit as well. Yeah, I'm
1: at a loss for why Oliver Wallstrom's on that first unit. If I'm being totally honest with you, um, there's just so many other guys. Like, I mean, I guess you know the upside is that the second unit is is actually really good when you, you know, all the guys that you named are, are quality. So maybe they're going to do a little bit more of an even split in terms of the power play minutes, and, and that's kind of what they're thinking there. But like right off the bat, I think any one of Bailey Nelson Bolivier Peugeot, like any one of those guys, makes more sense on the first unit in, in my mind than, than Oliver Wallstrom, But again, if you're trying to split the two units up a little bit more evenly. Um, maybe maybe that's the look there. In New York, uh, it's again um, probably you know maybe three guys on the on the top unit here um, that are. Our surefire locks, uh, I, th- I think most of them have a pretty good hold of their spots, but the three locks for me are Kreider, Sabinejad, and obviously Adam Fox, who just had a fantastic year last year. And nearly half his points came on the power play. I would expect him to continue doing that this year as well. Um, I wouldn't list Ryan Strom and Artemi Panarin as absolute locks, and it's not because I don't think they can produce on the power play or somehow – um, they might, you know, struggle. But again, if you want to divide the workload and or give some of your up and comers, um, you know, looks on the number one unit, you've got Alexis Lafreniere and Capocaccio like waiting on that that second unit. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see either of those guys move up periodically, just to see a few more minutes with the number one group there. Um, and then Jacob Truva will for sure be locked in as the the quarterback on the second group. He's not going to take over from Fox as, as that number one. There's just no way. Uh, his numbers are, are good, uh, and he he's very capable of doing it, but you, you just look at what Adam Fox did last year. You'd be insane to take him off the, the number one power play.
0: Well, and I think I'm going to disagree with you a little bit on Artemi Panera, and this is their signature offensive piece, in my opinion, AJ, and we may agree to disagree here, but I think he's – going to be a guy who winds on the top 10 scorers in the league. So I think you can add him as a, as a guy that's a re- real fixture for me on the New York power play. That remains to be seen uh, how it turns out, but the, he he's definitely a guy that I would pencil in. They're waiting for Lafrenier and Kako to take the next steps, and I know that's what you're thinking about. Where do these guys fit in? Can they get room on that top line? Uh, if if they do take the next steps, they might push Stroman Kreider out of the way, but they aren't going to touch Panera, in my opinion. And Jacob Trouba's a guy they signed for big bucks a while back from Winnipeg to be the linchpin on the power play. That really never worked out, AJ, but he's still there as a viable option for me. If uh, if something happens to Fox, it would take an injury to knock him out of the first power play unit, though the way things line up at the moment. And uh, look, the Leafs are going to go into Ottawa tonight, and they don't have to play against Brady Pichuk, but this is a team that still can ice a pretty nice-looking power play when you consider the skill players that they can throw out there. Some of these guys have taken the next step that i talked about with other youngsters. I'm thinking about you, Drake Patterson. He had an outstanding year last season for Ottawa at, at A.J., and I think he's ready to continue that as one of the key guys up front. He'll partner with Josh Norris at centre, and then Connor Brown, one of the more industrious two-way players in the league, who's really upped his offensive game since he moved to Ottawa. Perennial 20-goal scorer, he might threaten 30 if he can stick with this unit because it features some pretty nice point men here. You consider that uh, the winger and maybe the most skilled player on this team, Tim Stutzla, is going to be on one point along with Thomas Shabbat, one of the best minute-eating defensemen with offensive skills in the entire NHL. He should be a guy that's a lot for 50-plus points and will be playing a lot of the power play minutes as the power play quarterback here. And uh, I wonder if they have anybody who threaten each of these guys on the second unit.
1: Well, I don't know if anybody from the second unit would necessarily challenge, but obviously tochuk is going to be on that top unit. Um, Josh Norris just feels like the no-brainer odd man out here, in, in my opinion. Um, you know, Tyler Ennis has played plenty of power play minutes over, over uh, his career, so he could certainly be um, an option as well. Uh, to, to push for more there, he kind of fell out of that role with Edmonton. You know, we talked about how stacked they were, um, this year. And, and so when he was with them last year, he didn't really get an opportunity to fill that, that, uh, that role. Um, but really that's, you know, like the only year he's had pretty much no, you know, it's time with Edmonton is pretty much when he's had no power play minutes, um, to, to really speak for. So in Philadelphia, the Flyers uh, will have, uh, you know, again, uh, kind of some similar names, uh, a couple new faces here, Sean Couturier, Travis Konechny, Claude Giroux, James Van Riemsdijk, all those guys make sense and are locked in, I think, on, on the number one group. I do think Keith Yandel, uh, who is new to their power play, obviously after joining from the offseason, I do think he probably is the the most obvious choice on the number one unit there. You know, Ryan Ellis uh, could be a challenger for that though. I you know going into the start of the season, I I think you use yeah to but obviously you got to see something. And if the production drops off, you know, really for Yandel at all. Um, you know, you, you you can easily switch that, and I don't think it'll be a huge uh, dip in production. You know, even last year in the season where Yando was kind of on the outs with Florida, but not really. Like, they still used him. He only averaged 17-15 of ice time last year, but 427 of that came on the power play, and he scored 18 of 27 points with the man advantage. Like, he's clearly found a niche here. Um, and, and is going to bring that, I think, to, to Philadelphia and give them arguably maybe their best power play quarterback that they've had for a while.
0: And and further to that, A.J., Ryan Ellis is not a bad 1B option to running a power play. He's been a big minute eater in this league, moves over to, to Philadelphia and a bit of a made-over defense here. They've added a lot of experience in those two guys. And I look for both of them to factor in to the power play here. Ivan Provarev is a third defenseman who will be featured on the power play. He would have been first line if neither of these two guys was around, but I think still this could be a unit that you could see two defensemen at the back end and uh, run things that way. The youngster who could be a factor if J.B. flounders in any way, shape, or form because father time might be catching up to him a little bit. Joel Faraby is a guy to keep an eye on, and he will be a, a guy who plays that uh, bumper or net front position uh, uh, in the Flyers power play and should benefit from one of the more potent attacks in hockey. AJ, we're going to step aside now for a word from our sponsors before we come back and hear what you have to say about the way the Penguins line up. So let's take a short break here and we'll be back to you. You've been listening to Wire's podcast with Statsman and AJ. Okay, we're back, but uh, we have 10 more teams to go through before we talk to you about uh, the DFS portion of our show. But, AJ, before we do that, I want you to talk about our sponsors at Owner's Box.
1: Are you looking for a new way to play fantasy sports this season? Owner's Box offers two game types, tournament salary cap, and head-to-head live drafts. As a bonus, all new players receive a $25 bonus when they deposit $10 or more on the platform. Be sure to check out Owner's Box' new Superflex Salary Cap Game, a revolutionary new way to play fantasy football that brings a strategic new alternative to the traditional season-long formats in daily fantasy games. The Superflex Salary Cap format, available only on Owner's Box, removes the kicker and defensive position slots, and focuses only on offensive players. Users will build their nine-player lineup while staying under the $50,000 salary cap. Large prize pools will be available throughout the NFL season. The super flex position, the main differentiator of the contest, gives the users the option to select an additional quarterback, running back, wide receiver, or tight end. Ultimately, it makes the quarterback a premium position versus other fantasy formats. And don't worry, listeners, Owner's Box Web NHL Contest live on the site for the start of the season. Play the Owner's Box Salary Cap Contest for free. Use promo code DREW9, that's D-R-E-W-9, for a free $10 entry into the Sunday-only 50K Salary Cap Contest.
0: All right, before we continue, AJ, you got one more promo to do, and that's to talk about us and how people can get a hold of us during the course of the next week.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. We uh, encourage you to send your comments and questions that you may have about fantasy hockey, about your teams. Um, Really, you know, if you have DFS questions, season-long questions, Uh, or just hockey questions in general, you can reach me, uh, AJ Scholes, on Twitter at AJScholes24. That's AJ, S-C-H-O-L-Z, 24. And you can follow Paul, the Statsman, at Statsman22. That one's pretty straightforward, Paul. I'm not going to spell that one out for our (laughs) listeners. I think they can get that one. We'll be happy to share uh, the best questions that we get on Twitter on our upcoming pods as well.
0: All right, partner, it's time to talk about your favorite club, two key pieces missing in Crosby and Malkin. So in the interim, the way they line it up is going to be Jake Gensel. He's also nicked up a little bit, though, day-to-day. Jeff Carter, who looks like he's been shot out of the cannon in the early going, and Kasperi captain rounding out the top of three forward spots. Brian Rust is a guy who normally is a forward, but playing that point position alongside veteran Chris Letang, who's been a linchpin here since we've been doing the show. Together, AJ, in, the, in terms of the Pittsburgh power play analysis. They have other options on the second unit. Prime among them for me is Jason Zucker, who will fill in if Gunsell is not ready to go. Marcus Pedersen, a viable option, along with John Reno, to spell Chris Letang from time to time. But really, these guys are hoping that uh, Sidney can get back into the lineup sooner rather than later. Any time frame on him, and certainly if you have any opinion on Malkin, I have just stashed him in one of those reserve spots, bench spots in my season-long pool, I don't care how long it's going to take for him to get back. I expect him to be better than a lot of guys who are available players right now. It's funny.
1: I assumed when I did that it was uh, fandom bias, so I'm glad to hear somebody else did that, Paul, um, to, to stash Gino there. I mean, So here's the difference uh, between him and Eichel. Like, One, he's had the surgery already. We have a clear time frame of when he's going to be back. And it's only going to be, I'd say only, um, it's going to be, you know, two months. So start basically December-ish. So you have kind of a clear idea of how long you need to get by without it. We don't really have that picture with Michael. Like We don't have a good idea of how long he'll be out. It depends which surgery. You also, I mean, you know when Malkin comes back. Like, he's the number two center and he's on the number one power play. Like, you know that Absolutely. Iko, you assume he'll be the number one center somewhere, but I guess you don't know that for sure. Heard rumblings of him being in Boston. So, okay, in Boston, he's the number two center, right? So you don't really know like how he might fit on a team when you don't know what team he's going in. So it's that kind of uncertainty for me um, that makes a difference there. In terms of the the power play, look, um, my biggest like question that I have is what do they do Uh, when Malkin comes back, right? Like, Crosby comes back, Jeff Carter moves to the second unit. That's pretty straightforward. Evan Rodriguez is pretty much done um, on the power play. Maybe he could challenge Dominic Simone. Um, Marcus Pettison is really only on that second unit because Mike Matheson is out. Um, He's really not going to push the tank, and nobody's going to challenge the tank for that spot. There's no question about it. So, you know, the number one unit is going to be set here. Uh, when when uh, Crosby comes back, but do you take Kasperi Kapanen or Brian Rust off when you get Geno back? And, and that's a big decision that, that Mike Sullivan's going to have to make. My initial gut reaction is that it's probably Brian Rust, um, despite how well he's looked. And then, you know, maybe at that point maybe they decide to not have two defensemen on that second unit and, and go with four forwards there just to um, find a way to get Rust into the lineup. But Yeah, so as far as Gonzo, you mentioned the injury uh, or the absence. You know, it was uh, COVID-related. He had tested positive, has been practicing with the team. The hope is that he'll be back up to full fitness and hopefully playing tonight um, for the Penguins faithful. But obviously, again, continue to monitor that. Um, And, Paul, you're absolutely right. Jason Zucker will slide into that top unit there if uh, Gonzo can't play. We'll move on uh, to the San Jose Sharks here. Um, And their group is uh, a little weak, if I'm being completely honest. Uh, You know, you've got Logan Couture, uh, Eric Carlson, Brent Burns. Looks like Alexander Barbinoff and Rudolf Balsers as the other guys. I think Tomas Hurdle, Kevin LeBanc can move in. But the reason I call this group a little weak is like Eric Carlson just really has not done much of anything since coming over. I don't love having him. I've never loved having him and Brent Burns on the same line. I said that when you you can go back uh, several years on on our podcast shows, and you'll hear me say I don't love adding Eric Carlson when you already have a Brent Burns. Um, Two heads aren't always better than one when it comes to your power play (laughs) here. So, um, yeah, I just don't love this power play. Well, I don't know about you.
0: Yeah, I think separating them makes the most sense, but who do you think off that top unit there? Two of your big picket items. So I I think, like you, they erred when they put the two of them together on this roster in the first place. Barabanov, this guy's gone from a fourth liner in Toronto to a first-line power play role in San Jose. That tells you how thin they are up front. Kevin LeBanc is a viable option for sure. Couture makes sense. So does Hurdle. But Evander Kane is the big question mark here. You wonder if and when they're ever going to get this guy back. If not, Rudy Balsers is another no-name addition to the front line of this power play. It should be one of the weakest in the league. It doesn't matter that they have two of the biggest uh, tickets on uh, in the league manning the points on this power play. We're going to go to the Seattle franchise now and talk about this new team and how they might line up with a bunch of cast-offs from other teams. There's still some pretty good name recognition here, AJ. When I consider the likes of Jaden Schwartz and Jordan Eberle and Mark Jodano, these guys have played power play minutes in, in the, earlier in their careers, so... They, that's a good starting point. Then they had Jared McCann, who I have a lot of time for. I know you've got a lot of good things to say about him from his time in Pittsburgh. He seemed to be their Swiss Army. Like you could put him in anywhere from first line to third, left wing, center, right. Didn't matter. He was always a good placeholder and a steady steady producer offensively as well. Ryan Donato is another guy that's going to be a trigger man up front. Beyond that, they have some al- alternates that would, would buy for time. On most other teams as well, Vince Dunn is a guy who is looking to further his development, and he'd get a chance here to be the linchpin on the second powerful unit from the defense position. And Eunice Donskoy is a very viable trigger man for me, who could move up to the top unit uh, in the blink of an eye.
1: Yeah, I think the other the other name to keep an eye on here um, is uh, um, sorry <laughs> is is Alex Barry Boulay. Uh, he's going to play. Tonight, uh, for the first time since Seattle uh, grabbed him off off of waivers, I think he could fit into this second unit here. Um, but for the most part, I think the names you you listed on on the first one—Wenberg, Giordano, McCann, Schwartz, Everly—like that's pretty much their first unit, right? Like, there's not going to be too many um, challengers. Danskoj, maybe, um, but obviously Giordano is going to quarterback that group. <laughs> There's just no, there's no getting around that, and I don't know why you would, given his uh, his experience there. In St. Louis, uh, you know, it's uh, going to be Tory Crew t- stepping into year two as their, their kind of number one guy here. Vladimir Tarasenko, Ryan O'Reilly, Pavel Bush-Navis. I think Braden Shen uh, and Robert Thomas probably vying for for the other spot there um, for for this group. I I, I would say Bujnovic comes in probably the odds-on favorite to be in the top group, but I wouldn't say he's a lock in the same way that, that I would maybe some other players. And then obviously David Perron, who's been uh, around this team for, for quite a while, he could be a factor as well. Uh, so a number of names that could pair up with kind of that O'Reilly, Tarasenko, and Krug trio on the number one group here.
0: Yeah, and I, I wouldn't sleep on a guy like Justin Falk. This guy has made his way through the NHL career that he's enjoyed largely on the strength of a potent shot and a very good offensive presence from the back end. So he'll spell Krug maybe, uh, and maybe jump up ahead of Perico on that second unit uh, in, in St. Louis. With the, the Stanley Cup champs off up next, we know they have a wealth of options to choose from offensively. The familiar names will be Kucherov, Point, Stancoast, and Hedman. The guy who has a bit of a sneaky additional value for me is Alex Killorn, not usually named with that group of four. So he's a guy that I hope you've picked up in your pools. Could be a, a real nice value play to round out the Tampa power play. Backing them up, uh, Corey Perry over from Montreal. A fourth-line presence on a regular shift, but definitely a good net front presence on a power play unit. He had some success there in the playoffs. And I figure if he gets onto this power play unit, will enjoy a similar run of success. He had a very nice exhibition schedule totaling four goals offensively to give a sense for what that might include and look like. And then the other guy that they're grooming to be one B to uh, a clear one A in Hedman is Mikhail Sergachev. Yeah, this
1: is another one where I I really like the second group, uh, Maroon, Sorelli, Perry, like you know, ton of ton of talent there, ton of experience. But that first group just has to be on the ice for most of that power play, right? So I you know I don't know how many minutes or in some cases, probably even seconds that, um, you know, that some of the second group is going to get. And so that is going to be something to monitor because, you know, like you said, Corey Perry, you know, net front, Sergachev has a a great shot from the point and everything, but you're not taking headman Kudrow and Samko off the ice if you don't have to, right? So um, definitely going to be interesting to see as we get into a few more games, how the, how the breakdown works in terms of, you know, what sort of power play minutes everybody is getting here. Um, you know, you look at the first game, they, they only had the one power play and it's, uh, you know, Hedman, Kaloran, Kucherov, Point, Samkos all on for a minute 30. Uh, and then the, the other group here got the other, you know, 20, 27 seconds that it ended up being here. So um, I would expect that carries over into most two minute power plays. And so, Definitely maybe not as high on their second group as I would maybe normally be because I do like the players themselves that they have there. Uh, For the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, we've got, uh, you know, obviously Austin Matthews being out um, for the first three games here changes how this first group looks, but they're certainly not lacking for, for options here. They still have you know, John Tavares, William Nylander, Mitch Marner, Morgan Riley as the quarterback of this group. And then uh, I think the Matthews fill-in is one that could be a little bit flexible. I, I've seen over a couple practices, they've had Nick Ritchie there, they've had Jason Spezza there. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see Pierre Engvall get a look as well. Um, but Paul, I'll, I'll let you take it from there. Um, If there's anything I've said that that you disagree with or or see differently on that? You've
0: named all the key guys that are going to factor in, A.J., maybe with one exception, Michael Bunting. And uh, if if Morgan Riley doesn't work out as the power play linchpin that he's been in the past, they want to give a different look. Maybe Rasmus Sandin figures in. But I want to spend a moment talking about Morgan Riley. The Leafs have gone the last couple of years, and they've let some pending free agents leave without any compensation. They better decide and figure out what they want to do with Riley, because I don't think there's a piece on the roster that can replace him and his role. I don't think Sandin's ready to step in to take the minutes that Riley does in all the situations that he does. So there's a couple of comparable contracts out there uh, that have been signed most recently by defensemen, and Riley has to fit in somewhere into that mix, and they've got to get that deal done. Otherwise, this guy's going to walk too, and that's not going to be a good look on this organization at a time. When they have their window to be competitive, it's open right now. But if they lose that number one guy on the power play in the defense. Uh, that's a big hole to fill. Nick Ritchie has been an interesting addition to this club, and it, and it goes hand in, hand in hand with what they're trying to do offensively is more attacking the net, a net front presence in general. So you're seeing him stand right in front of the goalie. They got a goal off, the, off that play last night. Pierre Engvall uh, looks like he's getting a long look uh, in a good offensive situations, and he was, for my money, the second best player on the ice next to to Nylander in uh, the Leafs' season opening win against Montreal. So they do have some options there, and they want to see Sandin take that next step in his development. Maybe that helps them with the Riley circumstance, but get Mo signed is my message to the Leafs front office. The Vancouver Canucks, AJ. This is a team that a lot of people have a lot of high hopes for, and it's primarily because Elias Pedersen is back and healthy, and he will be alongside Bo Horvath. The one-two punch at the center is going to feature on this power play. Alex Chason is in that net front position, so he could get a bushel full of goals, too, with those two guys him on him on the extra man. And J.T. Miller, a fine playmaker from the back end, alongside Quinn Hughes, who's one of the better power play quarterbacks in the league. So it's a very nice-looking top line. And they have Connor Garland, who's a super pest, who will be that net front presence on the second line of the defense, of the power play, rather. And uh, they have a second power play quarterback that they, grew, they, they picked up in the offseason and Oliver Ekman Larson is, 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 is that guy. I thought he was going to be gone. So they, they got him back. And uh, Nils Hoaglander is another feature on the back end, uh, a forward who's going to be playing alongside uh, Larson. And uh, so that's going to be an interesting look on the back end. Larson, of course, played for years in Arizona as the power play quarterback there. So they've got two viable options uh, between Hughes and, and Ekman Larson to run the power play here. That's a real luxury for Vancouver, I see.
1: Yeah, I, I don't really have any any heavy additions there. You know, you look at, they had about nine and a half minutes of, of power play I signed in the first game. Uh, that main group that you mentioned took uh, just under, you know, a little over 620 of that. So relatively evenly spread out, uh, you know, um, there. So they're, they're, they're obviously taking the bulk of the workload, but not so much. Uh, but when you have that many minutes, you kind of have to, spread it out. You can't really have uh, your number one set of guys out there for the full nine minutes of, of power play opportunities. So I uh, got to share the wealth a little bit, I, I suppose. In Vegas, uh, you've got a group that is uh, pretty much, uh, well, you know, it looks like they maybe shuffled things up. I thought I was going to say pretty much the same. But right now we've got Evgeny Dadunov ahead of Jonathan Marchessault on the on the depth chart here, and uh, Nolan Patrick ahead of William Carlson. So it looks like they're kind of breaking it up into two groups: Shea Theodore, Max Pacioretty, Mark Stone, Nolan Patrick, Dan Adoff, uh, Dan Off, rather, uh, as the first group. Alec Martinez, Alec Patrangelo, John Tavares, Riley Smith, and William Carlson on the second group. Look, that second group, Paul, uh, at least the way I see it, would probably be a number one power play on a lot of teams. Uh, <laughs> So, that's, that's a pretty nice uh, benefit to have in terms of breaking it down, um, which, you know, unfortunately for, you know, for fantasy term in fantasy terms, makes it hard to figure out who's going to be, you know, the, the top dogs there, right? So, um, you look at the minutes, you know, Carlson Smith, Marc Gasol, Theodore, and Petrangelo were the top five um, in terms of straight-up minutes the other night. So, um this is gonna be one to watch. It's hard to pick exactly who's gonna be where, at least as far as
0: I see it, Paul. Yeah, the flyer here amongst them, no pun intended, is former Philadelphia player Nolan Patrick. How about that one, AJ? Flyer? Nolan Patrick? That was a good one. Yeah, I don't
1: I don't care for Philadelphia <laughs> Flyer punch, Paul. You'll get no chuckles on me.
0: He he's a guy that they want to give a real good audition here in Vegas to see if he can fit into the top six and what better way to find out early early goal than throwing him out on the power play too. This guy used to be uh, known as the second draft pick in his draft year, so there are a lot of high expectations, but he has had a myriad of, of head-related issues and injuries in the last couple of seasons that have certainly prevented that ceiling from being reached. So like you said, there's a wealth of opportunity here, and uh, it's one of, one of the few teams that can bolster boast three viable defensemen who factor into the mix with Theodore Martinez and Pietrangelo being pretty good scoring defensemen options on the power play unit. In Washington, boy, I thought we were going to talk about Alex Ovechkin showing signs of declining a little bit in the first game, but go ahead and say what he did. Two goals in that first outing, so it looks like the same old, same old from the Washington captain, and uh, of course he's going to be featured on this power play. Uh, Alongside him, though, Genny Kuznetsov gets to be the primary feeder of the puck uh, offensively. Nick Batch out of the mix. When he returns, he'll factor in to this unit for sure. But in the meantime, they have Kuznetsov as, as the puck holder up front, and Anthony Manta, uh, a viable sniper on a one wing, and then T.J. Oshi filling the net front role, and he scored a goal as well in his debut. And they also have, of course, John Carlson, perennially one of the top scoring defensemen in hockey running out, so a very top-heavy first unit. And uh, other guys who can fe- be featured there from time to time will include uh, certainly Tom Wilson, uh, I would think, Uh, ahead of the rest of the pack. But Backstrom will factor into this mix, and you wonder who drops out. I wonder, it would probably be Anthony Mantha, if I had to guess.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that assessment, Paul. I I do think it's Anthony Mantha. Look, if we we learned anything from uh, Washington's first game here, it's to stay out of the box if you're facing (laughs) the Capitals. Like, Ovesky was on the ice for over six minutes of power play time, three of his four points. Came with the man advantage. Like this is just a uh, just dangerous power play, uh, you know, that surrounds him and and really is built uh, to get him the puck and, and get him opportunities. So if, they, if their team is playing Washington, uh, maybe you know, behoove them to uh, stay out of the box here. In Winnipeg, uh, you know, we'll have. Uh, mark Scheifele, Blake Wheeler, Neil Pionk, and Kyle Connor, I would say, are your locks for the first power play group here. The question mark for me is who's going to fill the other spot. Could be Nikolai Ehlers, could be Pierre-Luc Dubois, could even be Paul Stassi. Um And again, we kind of have to see this, because Scheifele missed the opening game uh, due to his, you know, uh, Suspension carryover from last season, so we kind of have to see what this mix looks like with him back in it. But I, I do think there's any number of guys um, that could challenge for for really that one spot, and whoever it is um, going into a game, like you're going to want to know that in terms of you know season long sure, but obviously DFS. Like if you're playing with Cyprien Wheeler, Connor, and Pionk on the power play, um, you have a pretty good chance of of at least picking up an assist here. Right now we have it as Adam Lowry, but I I do think that's uh, subject to change at at really any point,
0: Paul. Yeah, the reason Lowry's there is this is pretty pretty much a copycat league, AJ. So I've talked about the net front presence in a lot of power play units. Lowry is the guy penciled into that role. But if they go away from that to what we've seen more uh, as a five-man outside the box on the perimeter, Ehlers will factor into the mix and uh, maybe here Luke Dubois as well. Stastny's also succeeded in that net front role. So they have a couple of different ways to go and a lot of flexibility because it's one of the more talented teams in the league when you talk about the, the 10 guys that uh, are in this mix. Nate Schmidt, uh, Josh Morrissey, and Neil Pionk represent another one of those rare teams that have three viable offensive pieces that play defense normally. So, And they all possess pretty good sh- shots from the point two, which is a real added value to the power play. AJ, we went a little bit long on this episode just as we did in some of the other preseason ones, but I think it's important to note that if you haven't thought about the names that we mentioned on today's show in your drafts, you better be looking for them in the free agent portion of your pools right now, because they're going to be key pieces for all 32 teams this year, and so that's why we went through all of this, but we also want to give our listeners a bit of a flavor for the BFS portion of our show, which will be featured going forward as we do more news and notes on the other clubs, so without further ado... Why don't you tell us about your draft team's picks for tonight's games?
1: Yeah, so you know I'm going to kind of spread it out. I, I don't have too heavily uh, stacked in, in any one team here. Um, so just a couple guys that I think are in good spots. Um, first and foremost, uh, you know, my most expensive player uh, or, uh, on the board here is Nikita Kucherov at 8,400 filling one of my wing spots. Look, there, there just isn't a way to get around him. We talked about at the start of the show they were uh, got laid into a little bit by the, by the coach there, and I do expect them to come out big time facing a weak uh, Detroit team. So Kucherov, I think, is almost a must start across most formats, even though he's going to be probably the most expensive winger um, regardless. From there, uh, just to round out my, my wingers here, I really like uh, Alexis Lafreniere tonight, 3,600. He was second on the Rangers in their game in individual course E4, so clearly putting the puck towards the net. Um, I think I um, off the top of my head, I think four of those shots made it through. Um, so, you know, at least trying to put the puck on net, which you'd like to see, especially in a game where they lost 5-1, to one, um, still shooting the puck. So I like him at 3,600. And then Victor Olofsson, I talked about him earlier in the show. I talked to him about him when we did our, our DraftKings show um, on YouTube earlier today. Thirty-four hundred, I think he's a steal at that spot. At the center position, uh, I'm expecting a big year for Alexander Barkov. I, I think he should be set up for for a good season. Um, you know, Pittsburgh still without some of their big name guys, uh, so it's an opportunity potentially for Florida to to get a win or at least. Um, put up some points here I do like Jared McCann at 5,500 he should be centering that that top group in Seattle I, I know the first game didn't go great for the cracking here but you had four guys who like couldn't practice for like a day and a half because they were on the COVID list and then they you know they weren't um, it was false positives like they were ruled out that morning um, and then later in the day, they were clear and freeze. So I, I just think there was so much uncertainty about that first game um, that I expect bigger things from Seattle tonight, especially when you consider they're playing Nashville and not Vegas. Uh, in terms of defensemen, I go with Adam Fox. Uh, highlighted all that 6,400 on DraftKings. I think he's definitely still worth it. Uh, Miro Heiskanen is another player, 3,800 for Dallas. Again, he's expected to get power play opportunities. We talked about the fact that Dallas has kind of a one A one B, if you will. Um, so I think at, at that price range he's in a good a good spot at, at just thirty eight hundred. Philip Krubauer is going to be my goalie tonight, seventy four hundred. Again, I think Seattle bounces back, uh, and then my utility spot. I, I apologize for skipping over that. Is uh, from the Islanders. I'm going to go with Kyle Palmieri. Again, we talked here about you know kind of power play specialist for them, forty one hundred. Not a huge price tag there. Kind of lets me, you know, afford to pay up to get both Kucherov and Barkov in this lineup, um, and so I like him in that spot as well. That's what I have on DraftKings. Obviously, uh, you know that was a quick run through. So I will go ahead as soon as I'm done here. I'll tweet this out. Um, so everybody can take a look at it as well. Paul, what do you have for FanDuel?
0: Well, off the top, I'm going to agree with you on your analysis of Alexander Barkov. He's my most expensive player, AJ. I didn't go too far up the board, uh, and, and i landed on him. I, th- I agree with you. He's headed for a career-best year, and I think that means top-ten scorer in the league, certainly going to play all the big minutes in key situations for Florida. He's my number-one guy at 7600 bucks. I pair him with Anze Kopitar, He's going to be the number one guy in Los Angeles, as he has been for the last several years. I think they've improved their talent around him, and so I think he's a viable option. He gets Vegas coming to town tonight, and I, he's priced in at $6,900, and I think he's primed also for a bit of a rebound year offensively in an 82-game schedule. Andre Palatz, another one of those guys who's around the big four uh, offensive pieces in Tampa, and I think he comes in a cheap value tonight against Detroit. I think it's points night for the... The bolts tonight as they venture into Motown. Sixty-one hundred dollars the price tag there. Uh, I'm going to go back to the Vegas LA game, but on the other side, I'm looking at Jonathan Marchessault to continue the hot, the impressive start that he had in game one. He was, for my money, the best player on the on the Knights that in that game. Six thousand dollars his price tag. He's a leader of this club, and you can bet he's going to be one of the guys that wants to make up for a bit of a lackluster debut. Even though they won the game, they didn't look that good to me, and I think they want to fix that and send a message their opponents in this one and then i go to the seattle kraken against nashville and i mentioned matias ekholm getting the big contract he's going to be one of my two defensemen i always look for value here aj and he's going to play a lot of minutes in nashville and i think he gets a good matchup against the visiting expansion club for forty-five hundred dollars. i'll take a shot at him and then i'll pair him with tony d'angelo we didn't really talk about him too much because uh, there's some question marks around him. Quite frankly, you wonder what which version are they going to get, the guy that was the super point producer or the en- enigmatic guy that wasn't really a team player in the past. But I'm thinking he's going to try. want to make a good early impression for Carolina. featured on the power play, $4,700. That's my... Uh, if it, it turns out poorly, it might be the only time I play him, but it's worth a shot today. Then I fill out my roster with a couple of wingers that will be factors on their team's respective offenses all year long. Toivo Teravainen, number one right wing on Carolina for $5,900. I think he's going to be successful on their power play as well as the top line, so well worth the money there. Cole Caulfield is a guy I thought you would be all over in this matchup against Buffalo A.J. Uh, I'm putting put him in for $5,600. He gets a lot of shots on goal, and I think at least one will go in tonight against the lowly Sabres. So for $5,600, I plug him in. And then I take another chance, quite frankly, in the Nets. But I'm counting on the fact that Sergei Bobrovsky is a prideful player, and he knows that his job is being threatened by Spencer Knight's presence. A lot of people are touting him as a candidate for Rookie of the Year. That's how much they expect from him. But Bobrovsky's on the big contract. He gets the first chance to play in that tonight for Florida, a team that a lot of people are expecting good things from. And I think they get a Pittsburgh team that comes in probably feeling pretty good uh, after their opening night, and uh, I wonder, a, a sweep in Florida is a very rare feat for any club, so I'm counting on the home side to bounce back and send a message against the Penguins tonight for $7,700. Well, Bobrovsky's my goalie. So, AJ, any final thoughts uh, before we close it up this week?
1: No, not really. I mean, we've got a couple games under our belt, but uh, probably our, our biggest slate of the uh, or set of games comes tonight, and so plenty of hockey to, to keep watching and keep us interested in. And obviously I'll be watching my pens. And if you, you know, if you can't tell uh, from our first couple of shows and our DK hits, I'm obviously not feeling super confident, but that, that win on Tuesday did, uh, did make me feel better. That's for sure.
0: I thought you would come on board today and say, my team's going 82 and 0 after beating the Stanley cup champs. <laughs> You're taking a very low low key approach and it's got me quite frankly, a little bit freaked out, but, uh, our teams are both undefeated, AJ. Why don't we just say let's go right onto to the conference finals and, and say Leafs versus Pens. I'd take that right now.
1: I mean, why don't we just have that be for the cup? We might as well just cut off <laughs> all, all the rest of the BS and just put those two teams together for the cup.
0: I'll second that, AJ. Well, next week you'll be uh, listening to us again. We hope, and you'll get into our we'll get into our more familiar pattern where we give you news and notes on the general performances and. And the storylines around each of the 30 clubs. But we hope you enjoyed and appreciate our look at the special teams in today's episode of Podcast with Statsman and AJ. Thanks for listening to RotoWire Signature Fantasy Hockey Podcast. We thank our sponsor at Owner's Box as well. Check them out. You'll be glad you did. In the meantime, as always, please remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22, and you can follow AJ at AJ Scholz24. And as always, we invite you to listen to the podcast to get our tips to say out of the competition in your fantasy hockey planning and research. So long, everybody.